words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The prolific French writer Voltaire once said, if God has made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. Today is the first Sunday of the Epiphany season. Epiphany meaning revelation or manifestation. And what you'll notice in our readings during this season is we'll look at those events in the Gospels, um, often that early cluster of events that publicly reveal the identity and vocation of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. Uh, and we pay careful attention uh, to who Jesus has revealed to be, what it's revealed that he will do, um, not who we want him to be or assume him to be. We're aware of our own tendencies. It's so tempting to remake Jesus into our own image rather than allowing ourselves to be conformed to his. Uh, this morning, we, we have something uh, glorious, mysterious, frankly, a little bit odd, the baptism of our Lord. Uh, and I mentioned that it's odd because you might be wondering, why was Jesus baptized? What do we learn about Jesus at his baptism? Uh, and even more curious, what, what do we learn about our own faith in light of the baptism of our Lord? Um, there's so much in this short passage from Luke chapter 3. Um, a lot of it, we have John the Baptist, who uh, he's kind of the star of Advent. And John the Baptist is at his fiery best. He's calling out uh, sin. He, he's teaching. He's warning. He's confronting. He ends up in jail uh, by the end of this. Um, and I was so tempted to kind of focus our time on John because it's just fun. I mean, a winnowing fork and fire and come on now, fireworks. But what does John tell his followers? Don't focus on me. Focus on Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to just really focus on these last two verses in this event, the baptism of Jesus in Luke 3, uh, verses 21 through 22. Uh, so first, the baptism. Let me remind you what's going on here. Uh, John the baptizer is out in the desert wilderness. He's baptizing crowds. And Jesus goes out and joins in with them. He, he's part of what's happening. Uh, baptism here is a cleansing ritual. Um, it was usually in the first century reserved for Gentiles, uh, non-Jews. And it would be, you'd be baptized to wash away uh, sin and impurity. Uh, John has taken it one step further because he's baptizing not just Gentiles, uh, but faithful and unfaithful Jews. Uh, those who are part of God's covenant people. He, he's baptizing them as if they were pagans uh, because God's doing something totally new in and through Jesus. And so he's saying, we need to repent. We need to get ready. We need to conform to what God's doing. Uh, it's interesting. In, in another gospel account, uh, Jesus comes forward for baptism and John balks. He, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't think this is the, the direction uh, this ministry should flow. I think you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to be baptized to fulfill um, all righteousness. But it's, it's a fair question, right? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, think about in our own day, baptism is one of those controversial subjects, right? We have like different denominations uh, based on our theology of baptism. And think about some of the arguments. Um, you'll have most, when you're talking about baptism, folks will ask first, uh, how much water, 
right? You have to be fully immersed. Can we pour? Can we sprinkle? Like how much is enough for baptism water uh, to work, more or less? Um, That's one of the big arguments in the church, especially the last few hundred years. Uh, One of the other big arguments is who gets to be baptized? Like how old do you need to be? Can you be a baby? Do you need to be an adult? What kind of experience do you have to have? Um, Etc. You guys are familiar with these arguments, right? They're fun. You can get a book like Five Views on Baptism, kind of read it through. Um, All of these are are usually faithful believers. Um, They're arguing about baptism. But all of those arguments rightly assume that there's this link between baptism and sin, repentance and faith. And whether, wherever you are, how much water or how old, any of that, how does Jesus fit into these categories? As one needing to be baptized, as one undergoing a baptism with John of repentance, how is Jesus a candidate? And I would just say this morning that Jesus' willingness to be baptized tells us there's more to baptism than we usually think or assume. Uh, usually those arguments about baptism They're really focused on this vertical relationship uh, between God and the person being baptized. And I would say if that's all baptism was and is, then it doesn't make sense for Jesus to be baptized at all. He doesn't need to restore a relationship with the Father, does he? He's Jesus. I think it's actually, though, in his baptism that we learn that there's this entire horizontal aspect to baptism about participation about identifying and being part of a covenant people um, that we get most clearly in Jesus' baptism. You see, here he's identifying with us. He's willing to be part of the crowd. I mean, think about that humility from our Lord. Uh, One scholar says that uh, he considers this incident Jesus' first miracle. It's the miracle of his humility. Because the first thing Jesus does uh, for the human race is to go down with us into the deep waters of repentance and baptism. And his whole life is like that. Uh, Being immersed in repentance and baptism, being immersed in suffering and illness. The scholar points out it's well known that Jesus ends his ministry on a cross between two thieves, two sinners. He says it deserves to be as well known that he begins his ministry with sinners as well in a river with them in the midst of this crowd. Jesus is baptized not because he shares our need, but in order to share in it for us. Uh, There's an early church father, Cyril of Alexandria, northern Egypt, kind of north, north Africa. He says he had no need of holy baptism because he, Jesus, was holy, pure, and spotless the holiest of the holy. He commences the work himself in order that we may learn about the power of holy baptism and learn how much we gain by approaching so great a grace. And so while we may be left scratching our heads a little bit, like why is Jesus baptized? What's going on here? Um, Luke makes it clear that there's a remarkable heavenly response to the baptism of Jesus. That's what we will mainly look at today, the heavenly response. Um, Luke tells us the first thing that happens when Jesus was baptized, the heavens are opened. Uh, Mark's account in the Gospel of Mark is even more dramatic. 
He says the heavens are torn open, rent asunder. He uses a rare Greek word, schizo. Um, We get schism from that and schizophrenia from that, being split, being separated violently. And that Greek word, I'm not here to give you a Greek lesson, but that word is so uh, rare and so important in in the Gospels. Uh, Mark's the only Gospel writer who uses it at the baptism of Jesus, but almost all of the Gospel writers, they invoke that word at his death. Schizo. As soon as Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross, we're told that the veil of the temple is schizoed. It's it's rent asunder. It's torn from top to bottom. It's an epiphany moment, an aha moment. In the death of Jesus, uh, something has happened. This barrier separating sinful people from the presence of our holy God has been somehow torn asunder, set aside. A new pathway of welcome has been opened where we can come to God. And all that happens because and through Jesus. Something similar is at work actually in his baptism here at the start of the story. You can think of his baptism and the cross as these bookends on his public ministry. At his baptism, the heavens are torn asunder. At his crucifixion, the veil is torn asunder this new access, new connection. Um, Not about the forgiveness of his sins, either one of them, but about the forgiveness of ours so that we can be reconciled, so that we can draw near to the Lord. What he begins at his baptism is finished on the cross. A baptism of water begins his ministry and a baptism of blood concludes it. That's his resume start to finish of his vocation. A baptism of water to a baptism of blood, not because he needed it, but because we did. It's for us. It's for our salvation that all this happens. It's interesting. I mentioned we're in the season of epiphany. um, And and we, when we think of epiphany, we think of what? The wise men. The we three kings singing. Um, And that's what we do in in the Western church. And we talk about bringing uh, gifts to Jesus. We talk about mission to the nations. All that's well and good. Uh, In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they do something a little bit different. They mainly focus the whole Epiphany season on baptism, the baptism of Jesus. And they do this in a way to focus on our own opportunity to rededicate ourselves um, anew, to reconsecrate ourselves here at the start of the new year um, to be connected to our King. And that lens of of baptism is such an interesting, helpful way to frame the Epiphany season to think about how in his baptism Jesus identifies with us, how through his work we can be cleansed, how we're actually being conformed to the image of Christ. This is a season for for reconsecration, rededication, renewal of our baptismal vows and calling. It's interesting, to this day, if you go to parts of of Russia and Eastern Europe during the Epiphany season, um, they actually grab a hold of this idea of baptism. You know what they do? They go out to where they have these frozen lakes or these frozen rivers. And the clergy, they they get these huge shovels and ice picks and they carve huge crosses in the frozen water. They open up access. And all of these men, women, and children, they polar plunge into these crosses. (laughs) 
Um, y'all want to do that? <laughs> no? Man, that was my, that was my application. We're going to go down to the creek after this. <laughs> no, but seriously, they, they take these polar plunges. Um, and, and it might seem weird, but it's, it's a pretty interesting idea. Uh, they're saying every year, at least once, and preferably here at the start of the new year, uh, we will rededicate, we will re-consecrate. We will go, man, we need to be cleansed. We need to be woken up. That, that ice cold water, that'll wake you up. And, and, and rather than just kind of in the silence of their heart praying about this, that, that's a physical prayer if I've ever seen one. You're not going to forget that. You immerse yourself into these waters and you ask God to cleanse and renew. Very, very interesting. That's what I think our, invest, our invitation is as we think about the baptism of Jesus. Again, not to go jump in frozen waters if, if you want to. Uh, Bill White, he probably knows some pools you can go jump into. They're pretty cold right now. Um, but no, how, how do we rededicate ourselves? How, how do we reconsecrate ourselves? How do we take stock of the last year and, and where we need renewal? Where we need cleansing? Where, where we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus? Where we need the Holy Spirit to come and fill us anew, to refresh us uh, with refiner's fire to make us more and more like Jesus, to empower us to do the work he's given us to do. Because the very Holy Spirit that descends upon Jesus here is available to us. I mean, it says the heavens are open and then something happens. The Spirit comes down. And the Spirit comes down like a dove. That, that's a remarkable heavenly response to the baptism of Jesus. Um, there's so much, if you can just get that in your mind's eye a little bit. Um, I don't think we can plumb the depths of this mystery. The Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus uh, like a dove, um, anointing him in a sense as the Christ, the promised Messiah. The book of Acts said it anoints him with power, uh, anoints him with the Holy Spirit. It should remind us of events, incredible events at the very beginning of the Bible. I think about in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Well, here, the very word of the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, is not hovering over the waters, but he's in the waters. And the Spirit comes down like a dove to, to anoint and, and alight upon Jesus. And that idea of a dove is interesting just in and of itself. You probably know the first time we see a dove in the Bible. The first dove we see is from Noah. After the, the flood, this, this cosmic baptism, this cleansing, he sends out a dove. And so we just have this kind of these little hints and echoes of, of the links between baptism and creation, baptism and new creation. The Spirit comes down uh, like a dove. Uh, Peter later on will say baptism is like an ark. It carries us through these waters to new life. And in Jesus' baptism, this new life, this new birth, new creation itself has begun. It's on display. It's manifest. The Spirit is at work. The kingdom of God is at hand. And our own baptism reminds us that because of who Jesus is, what he has done, that we're actually part of all this. That we're actually immersed into this story. That we can be part of God's kingdom, his new creation, his new people. That we're no longer trapped in our own sin. But we can find new life and new hope. And even new mission as the Spirit comes upon us.
and fills us. And then look at what happens next. The Father's voice uh, comes from heaven. Before we talk about what the voice says, um, do you see what's happening here? We have a manifestation of the Holy Trinity in this scene. We don't get this very many places in the Bible, do we? But actually here we have the Son of God in the water, the Spirit of God coming upon him, and then the Father's voice speaking. We have the entire Holy Trinity manifest. This epiphany moment at the outset of Jesus' ministry. St. Augustine points it out, just to make sure we get, get the idea. He says, the Trinity appears very clearly. The Father and the voice, the Son and the man, the Spirit and the dove. The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, here on display. For us to behold and adore and receive. And then look at what the voice says. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Loving words of affirmation and blessing. Jesus isn't just baptized by water or anointed by the Spirit. He's anointed with the blessing of the Father, with his love, his affection, his affirmation. This is a moment of pride where the Father's introducing the world to his Son. And we don't have time to go into it all, but if you just look at, at this little phrase, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, um, it, it, it bursts with echoes from the entire Old Testament. There are echoes of these psalms of when they would make a new king who would be God's son in a sense. Um, there are echoes of, of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his beloved son, this confusing moment of almost obedience. But the father intercedes and sends a lamb to be the sacrifice. You hear these echoes of all of the, the wonderful servant songs of the prophet Isaiah. Um, Tim read Isaiah 42 for us earlier. Uh, the one that God would send. The one that would come and redeem and bring redemption and freedom and joy. All of that is in this, this identity. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's like, look at, look at this. Look at what's on offer. Look at what is on display. And realize that those who have been baptized and have faith in Christ, well, you've been immersed into the glory of this story. And I don't, I don't know about you, I tend to think of baptism as immersion into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans, chapter 6. Um, and thanks be to God that we're baptized into the death and resurrection of our Lord. But do you realize that we're actually also baptized into this? We're immersed in the loving delight and affirmation of the Father. That's part of what we receive, and that's part of the gift that's on offer because of the work of God for us, that we can be baptized into this loving delight. Bishop N.T. Wright says the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point, that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on this day. And he sees us, not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That, that's the good news. That instead of regarding our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, that God looks upon us with delight and love and acceptance because he sees his son. 
because we're incorporated into him. Out of his sheer grace, he calls us to himself. And so I wonder here at the start of the new year, the start of the epiphany season, um, where are you? Maybe you need to, to come to the Lord for the first time. Um, I'm certain that all of us probably are in need of kind of taking stock over this last year or this three year of 2020 that we've had. Lord, where do you want to work? Where do we need to rededicate ourselves to you? What, what sin has, has come in and crept in that we need to clean out? Either through your cleansing water or to burn away with fire. What work have you given us to do? What, what mission do you have in front of us? Um, I would just encourage you, take some time. Take time in prayer this week. Take time in a moment. We'll confess our sins together. Um, it's a season to take stock, uh, to have this epiphany moment. Throughout the gospel, Jesus says, come and see. Even the wise men, come and see. Um, and I pray that that's what we would do, that we would come and we would see, that we would worship, we would behold the glory of God and the face of Christ, prayerfully rededicating ourselves to the Lord together. Um, but then the other thing, and we'll get into this a little more in the epiphany season, uh, because the epiphany is also about mission. Um, we, don't, we don't keep this to ourselves, we share it. Uh, just like the Magi giving away those gifts to the child Jesus, we, we give away these gifts. Uh, we take the epiphany light of the gospel and we take it with us. We take it back into our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, and we tell the story. So I would implore you to share the light of Christ through your words and actions with those who so desperately need it in this new year. How else are they going to see it? How else are they going to hear it if we don't carry the light of the gospel to them? In the name of the Father and of the Son, of God's Holy Spirit. Amen.